0: Welcome to the Off Menu podcast, taking the steak of good chat, sprinkling with the salt of amazing humour, heating up the pan of the internet until it's smoking, dropping in that great podcast steak, and having ourselves a lovely meal.
2: That was a gamble. My name is James A. Castor. We own a dream restaurant, and we welcome a guest in every single week. Must. Oh, I was doing so well.
0: You were doing so well. You can
2: do And it we asked them their favourite ever Start a main course dessert, side dish and drink, not in that order. And this week, our guest is Sir Lenny, Lenny Henry. Henry.
0: Sir Lenny Henry.
2: Ed, this is a big one.
0: It's a big one, baby. I feel like we're, we're really hitting our stride with the National Treasures now.
2: Yeah, we're getting a lot of National Treasures under our, our belt. This is, for me... The original national treasure is
0: this the crown jewel of the national treasure
2: this is you know this is maybe the the first person I remember thinking was really funny on TV yeah huge huge this is huge huge in my stuff. life yeah. this is uh, too much this is when I'm glad this is when I'm really glad it's a podcast yeah and people can't see us during it because I think I'll just look very uh in awe of sir Lenny
0: well I'll be taking photos of you throughout then
2: Yes. I can't wait to see your little face all in awe. I'm going to be all in awe. and It's going to be, uh, this is a big deal. Big deal stuff, big deal territory.
0: Big deal stuff. We are very excited that Sir Lenny Henry is coming in our first Night of the Realm in the Dream Restaurant. Uh, And he's written two books, James. Two fantastic books. We're going to be chatting about the books, I'm sure. He's written Rising to the Surface, which is a memoir, and The Book of Legends, which is his hilarious new kids
2: book. I mean, pretty good going. Pretty good. Two going. books at once. Just write them. Ambidextrous, I guess.
0: Book of Legends, publishing on 13th of October 2022. And Rising to the Service, 1st of September 2022.
2: Very exciting. Also, he's going to be in the new Lord of the Rings series.
0: So, you know, he's a busy guy. Yeah. It's going to absolutely break my heart if we have to kick Sir Lenny Henry out of the Dream Restaurant for saying a uh, secret ingredient. But I'll, we do have to decide on a secret ingredient. That happens. Yeah. You've just got to go with him. Yeah. But today, there is a secret ingredient. Yeah. And the secret ingredient is, James plain kombucha plain kombucha and I'm not saying we've picked something so specific that Sir Lenny Henry will probably not pick it so we don't mm-hmm. have to kick him out the dream restaurant but it feels like that's what's happened this was James's suggestion James I don't think I've had plain kombucha before
2: yep I've had it I've had it once before and it was disgusting i I love kombucha in general uh, I love the ginger uh, kombuchas uh, the lemony ones the turmeric is actually my favorite I'd say but I once had one that just, just, I think it just said original on it. Yeah. Plain, and it was just, you know, flavourless, just uh, as it comes. And that, you know, people say kombuchas taste like bottled farts. Yes. And I, disagree with that very strongly. Yeah. But the plain one did taste like uh, a guff. Does that does that not guff.
0: suggest they all taste like guffs, but all the ones you drink have just a guffs with stuff added?
2: Yeah, so I guess if you mix a guff with some lemon and ginger, yeah. I think it's delicious. Guff with stuff. Guff in my face. Yeah. If, if that's how your guff smell. <laughs> but um but yeah, this one was just pure guff. Yeah. I couldn't have that so yes if Sir Lady Henry chooses uh, the liquid guff that is original uh, yeah. playing kombucha then we're going to have to kick him out the dream restaurant but you know what if he
0: says he wants someone to guff in his face that's allowed that's allowed right? that's allowed
2: I, I made the joke and then okay, okay. it just it's felt
0: enough. so disrespectful
2: yeah but listen if we do have to kick Lenny Henry out of the Dream Restaurant, then that's the end of the podcast. I'm yeah. I, I make that promise to the listener Fair now. Fair enough. We will stop doing the podcast. Or yeah. at least I will quit. Yeah. Ed, it's up to you if you want to quit or not, if you want to replace me or not. Nah. No. I'll quit. So Benito, I have to get two two hosts. Yes. Two new hosts. Benito, are you going to quit? Or are you going to host it? He won't quit. Benito's, Benito's going to do it. He would host it. He would host it. And uh,
0: I'd have to edit his voice out the whole time, so it'd just be the guest.
2: Just be the guest, and that'll be it. Some people might prefer that. Yeah, good point, actually. Yeah. Certainly with this one. Hey,
0: I'm on tour. Are you?
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) Ed Gamble
0: Electric. Ed Gamble Electric. I continue to drag it around the country. Come and see it. It's very exciting. Uh, Do come and see me. EdGamble.co.uk for tickets.
2: Very exciting. Ed, let's get into this. Let's just do it.
0: Let's do it. This is the off-menu menu menu of Sir Sir Lenny Lenny Henry. Henry. Welcome, Sir Lenny, to the Dream Restaurant. It's very nice to be here.
2: (laughs) Welcome, Sir Lenny Henry, to the Dream Restaurant. We've been expecting you for some time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love the Dream Restaurant. Is that thing going to happen where people walk by with brilliant food and you go, I'm having that? Or what are they having? That looks great. I love that in a restaurant. Yeah, I want to eat their food. That's fine if you've not ordered yet.
0: But if you've already ordered and then you see something come past that you didn't order, Mm -hmm. it's a It's
2: spectacularly gorgeous looking. Why didn't I order that? I'm a fool. <laughs> do you want that? In your dream restaurant, do you want people going past with food that you think, oh, I quite like that, I'm quite like that? I
3: think my you... dream restaurant will be called I'll Have What They're Having. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it would be, you. Uh, there's a parade of food, of food, like mm-hmm. in a Shakespearean, Jacobean-style mask thing where the food goes by and you go that looks fantastic and then you kind of either take their plate from the side they go hang on or, or you you ask them if you can join their table or you say to the waiter can i have what they're having please i think that would be a great thing to do have you ever joined anyone's table no but somebody did join mine once when i was married <laughs> to Dawn. Um, we were at this very nice restaurant that was run by Marco Pierre White and he sat down at our table wow. for the whole meal, <laughs> wow, the whole chatting away, talking that you ordered for us. Um, wow. And we were just be really nice to celebrate our anniversary, Marcus, but, you know, <laughs> it's nice for you to be here, but it's our anniversary and literally you're taking the time from our anniversary. <laughs> he didn't care at all. And members of staff were putting their heads out the door going, Marco. And he was just going, go away. <laughs> and just, you're at know, work, Marco. Giving us his time. No, he joined our table. I've never joined anybody else's table. That's rude, isn't it? Well, wow. I, reckon, I don't know. But I reckon you could. I reckon you could.
2: Really? Yeah. I think that's part you're of making the... making me feel bad now. I think that's part of the deal with the Knight of the Realm stuff, isn't it? You're allowed to join any table you want. Out of my way! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah!
3: I'm a Knight nice of the Realm.
2: Give me that chop. Go on, go on. Our uh, first Knight of the Realm on the podcast. You are our first Knight of the I? Realm. Am I? Yeah. Is it a thing? How oh, about do people?
3: Young people don't respect the whole Knight of the Realm thing at all. No. I just get called Uncle Len. Nobody calls me selling so in my phone. Uncle Len, can I have five pounds? I just have that all the time. You take the rubbish out now, Uncle Len. It's your turn. I have that. Older people seem to tug four locks and yeah. bow and scrape. And you get nice seats at restaurants sometimes. sometimes. Well, Not at the Grad Show. No, <laughs> ever. no. The girls there just kind of look at you and go, what's your name again? But uh, <laughs> elsewhere, <laughs> elsewhere, they're
2: kind of, uh, the older people tend to kind of... Ooh, ooh. I reckon, even without the sir, you could just join someone's table these yeah, days. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. I if somebody's like having, have, having, a, having a meal and Lenny Henry just sits down with them and goes, What are we having? I think they'd be like, We don't even care if it's our anniversary. This is great. Oh, that's great. I think, nice I think it be fine.
3: I don't think so, but that's very kind of you to say that. I do like dining and I do like going unusual places and I watch a lot of food telly. Yeah. It's a thing with me, so I, I do like it. And I have a. Th- I, I don't know whether it's a I've always liked food so um, never really couldn't really afford to eat out in a posh way but I've always liked food I've always liked different types of food remember going to, remember doing a commercial once my first ever commercial I think it was for Tizer and they um, quite a lot of French crew so they stopped for three hours in the middle of the day and had wine and beautifully cooked chicken and very flash fried steaks and new potatoes and this amazing salad that went on for days and, days. and I just thought what is this This is three hour lunch break and they all had a nap you know before we filmed in the afternoon what the hell are they doing you know but um I remember thinking people don't just eat to eat yeah. In some cultures, they eat because they want to eat and they love the idea of eating and they'll take time over it. And I love that. I love that. What I've noticed recently is the thing people moan about when you go and make a film or you go and do telly and stuff is like they, the crew moan about the food. If the yeah. food is not good, people are really vexed. Yeah. You know, and they they, you know, they send out. You know, a bit, I've been on a couple of things recently where the makeup lady sends out for food and the food arrives on the delivery bike or something and they all eat that. Mm-hmm. Nobody eats what's being ca- That's bad. I'd say, mm-hmm. yeah. For morale, you got to look after you got to look after the crew's stomachs. Yeah, yeah. you don't want the crew moaning about the food. Oh, that shepherd's part was rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Turn over, no.
2: <laughs> Once with good catering, you yeah. You you know, if you get booked to do like a panel show or something, and uh, they always have good catering, you tell your mates you're doing that show. They'll say, "Oh, the food's good." There. Yeah. That's the thing I'll in writers'
3: rooms in America as well. I remember yeah. talking to some friends of mine. They were saying when you're in a writers' room on a show in America, it is. Established that if the food is good, the show will be good because there's 12 wow. people in a room, and if the food is terrible, they're not going to want to work. Yeah, yeah, but if food is great, they're all going to go. Oh, I've had this great idea. Can you pass that sandwich? <laughs> people want to do their best because this room and this food and this hospitality is so nice. Food is an important thing. Yeah, um I grew up in a in a house where there wasn't any money, but the, but the, my mom cooked great food all the time. One of my favorite meals that I'm offering is a meal that my mom did every Saturday and it was great so I'll talk about that later okay. but it was driven into us that you know hospitality is a whole thing. Well you've
0: clearly been eating well Lenny and eating good stuff because you know I'm of them, I I am looking here at two press releases for two books that you've you know you, your own writer's room at home has been uh, well catered because you've you've written two
3: books. Yeah I had a good lockdown I don't know about you but there was a surge of creativity you listen to the radio you play your records you you walk around and then suddenly you have an idea and you think oh that's that's a good idea and you write it down it might be a joke it might be a tv thing idea but i um i'd already already written a book called the boy with wings which is a middle grade uh, kids book 9 and 12 and then i had this other thing and it happened quite quickly and because i had two years of not doing very much which for if you're in show business means a lot i wasn't doing that much but i Ended up writing two books. I'm really chuffed with them. The other the other one's called Rising to the Surface. And it's about 1980 to the year 2000 in my career. And it's, you know, I adopted a kid and I was married and I was doing chef and various things like that. But I just talk around and it's more worky than the first book. The first book was about being a teenager and growing up in Dudley and uh, my, my birth dad not being the same as the dad that raised me and how that was a kind of weird sort of broiling shame in my body for quite a long time, which I never told anybody, never did any, never said in any press conference when I was between 16 and 22, hey, my birth dad isn't my dad, you know, <laughs> you know just really kept it quiet. So every time I talked about my family on stage, I'm, I'm miming listeners, I'm miming being on stage with a mic in my hand. <laughs> but every time I was on stage, you know, good evening, great to be here, take my wife, please. Um, <laughs> I, I never told the truth about my family. Because there was a kind of – there shouldn't have been any shame about it. Uh, Why would you be ashamed of where you come from? And when I was doing Danny in the Human Zoo, which was the fictional representation of my teens and winning a talent competition, uh, Destiny, the director, asked anybody in the cast if they had an unusual origin, like if they had spare parents and (laughs) spare family. And nearly everybody put their hand up and said, oh, I've got an outside brother, you know, oh, my dad – did this my mom did that you know I've got a sister who's from so we all had this experience of having extra members of family that the traditional thing from working class or Caribbean families is you know the mom or the dad dies and then another husband shows up at the funeral (laughs) so there was that so I kind of felt like it's not nothing to be ashamed of and I'm gonna write about it so the first book's about that and the second book is about work and about interestingly craft you know, it's a lot about writing jokes and about what it's like to be in a writer's room and how you've got to punch your weight and have energy. A lot of people don't like being funny in the writer's room for some reason. They sort of like to be grumpy and then produce, my work, here's my work, you know, they like to do that. Whereas I prefer people being funny in the room. Yeah. Um, it's about that stuff and about energy and about collaborating and stuff, as well as all the other stuff. So rising to the surface is career retrospective, my mom's speech, my wedding and things like that. And the Book of Legends, which is the book that comes out in the autumn, is about two kids who go on a quest. Because you never see black kids on a quest. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I imagine Bilbo and Frodo coming to your house and going, Yo, Raheem, you coming on a quest? Nah, man, I'm watching, I'm playing FIFA. Get me, I'm listening to Stormzy and Dave, innit though? But I kind of thought it'd be great to have two black kids going on a quest. Why not? Why wouldn't mm-hmm. you? And um, they go to a place where almost everybody's black, and there's wizards and elves and murder fairies and stuff, and they have this mad adventure but they're in a place where people look like them. And it's because their mom, when she created this book of legends, always told stories about people that look like them. So the overall meta thing is about inclusivity and about uh, including everybody. But the story is about uh, a quest. And I love that because those were my favorite books growing up. The idea of, maybe it's because of the way I was raised, but the idea of going to a magical place where cool things happened really appealed yeah. because I lived in working-class Dudley where the telly didn't work and we lived on top of a sewer that used to explode every summer and drown the house and the house had a hairline crack down the middle of it and being bullied at school and shit like that. So it kind of felt like, wouldn't it be great to go, I'd love to be in Narnia. You know, there's no hassle in Narnia. Yeah, the Snow snow Queen's in charge, but I don't care. There's a talking lion (laughs) and I might get to fly. And here's the thing about stories great stories is um neil gaiman says there should always be a great meal in a story mm. so i tried to in the in the memoir and in the books the two books that i've written i've tried to include food so food is a motif guys so it's that's why it's nice to be on this show to talk about food because it's a it's a thing with me and of course yeah of course chef you mentioned chef a yeah. legendary sitcom mm. yeah. well it was kind of a comedy drama because yeah. lots of people jeff perkins kept saying well what jeff perkins is legendary TV producer at uh, Tiger and the BBC, used to say, why do you want to play this guy, Lenny? He's a dickhead. <laughs> and i go, because it's a role. It's not me. And the thing, when, you wanna, when you're trying to be an actor, as you will, you kind of go, well, I don't want to just be me. I want to be somebody else, and I want to see if I can do that. And I uh, kept saying, well, he's, he's not me. He's a, this, you know, articulate, smart guy who has the comeback. He doesn't think of the comeback in the car like we do. He, he says the thing straight away, and I want to be that guy. And he's a bit mean to his staff. And then his missus, of course, is smarter than him. So she's often getting him to apologise or to go back on something he decided because it's the cleverer thing to do. And I thought that was a good little character thing to have. Plus, he thinks he's the best chef in the world. Yeah. Uh, which meant I had to go and train at Law and work with Roly Lee and John Burton Race and go to the River Cafe and talk to people and see what, what it was like. And often there was no shouting in the kitchen. Often people were very cool and, you know, Rowley Lee's kitchen was very calm, very cool. People doing things because they wanted to do them and enjoying the process. And then, of course, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay and Marco Pierre White's kitchen, lots of shouting. <laughs> and John Burton, his kitchen was very um, shouty, but only when he was there. When he wasn't there, it was kind of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got exposed on the telly. They had secret cameras and they got into trouble. But it's a kind of, you know, the, the world of cooking is quite militaristic. It's a bit like the army, you know. There's kind of there's a real sense of you've got a brigade of people, and yeah. and you've got to get it done, and it's got to be it's got to hit the pass at the right time. Well, I think and, a
0: lot of those French kitchens were actually structured in that way deliberately, weren't they? The, do you want yeah. to be in the army for
3: cooking a sausage? <laughs> I don't know. Do you, it's a pie. You know, you don't have to beat me up because it's a pie. What's the, It's some cake. Oh, I don't know, but I do love it. I, I like the. My daughter and I, when she was really little, she used to have a little chair that clamped to the table, and it was very funny. For I know she has mem- sense memories of this because she's thirty now, but there was a time when I was working doing chef where my daughter would be clamped to the table and given two Michelin star food. <laughs> <laughs> and I, would, I would feed her at the table this food because she, she liked pasta, and this two Michelin star chef would go, "Oh, I'll make something," <laughs> and I know Billy has this thing in her mind of there was a wasn't there some fantastic food was <laughs> where was that it was because she was at Lauterland all the time when i was doing chef
2: well we always start the dream menu with still or sparkling water still
3: please because the sparkling thing is like um i don't get sparkling. it's like lemonade but crap what is, what is that i like the still water it's council pop it's what i'm used to it's what i grew up with Still water and if you could put like two big tablespoons of sugar in it, like back in the day, then it would be all right. We used to do a thing where we went on adventures and we'd have sugar and water. Who's we? Me and my, my mates, yeah. and my, my family. I've got three brothers and three sisters and it'd be Kay, who's four years older than me, Sharon and Paul, and sugar and water, sugar sandwiches with butter mm. and then um, we'd wrap that in newspaper and put, and put this through. It was all fields around here but we'd go mm. and we'd go off and have an adventure. So uh, yeah, still water, please. I love, you must have been absolutely buzzing
0: off your head. Yeah, we're off our head. Yeah. Sugar
3: water. Do you remember? I <laughs> like don't know you. Do you remember playing? Do you remember when you? I'm playing. Do you remember that? <laughs> What was that? It went on for hours and yeah. nothing really happened. Yeah. I'm playing. We're playing. And it was. Go- what were the games? That you know, if you look at books and you read American, you know, rite of passage books, when they go out and play, it's always quite structured. They're always yeah. playing baseball or something. In yeah. Britain. Yeah. We did kick the can and hide and seek and we climbed trees and just we ran around, around. Yeah, just because around. of all the sugar. Yeah, yeah. You know, we used to run to our mates' house. It's Tom playing, yes, and then you just <laughs> run to
2: somebody else. It wasn't
3: actually playing. Unless there yeah. was a ball or a cricket bat or something. I love the
2: sugar water thing. Sugar water, sugar sandwiches. Yeah. Sugar sandwiches were dope. Have you ever had one? No. It's really nice. But The
3: butter and the sugar is yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a goes sort of Absolutely. like a nice paste, like a fondant sort of. Yeah, yeah. it's delicious. It's kind of, mm, okay, it's delicious. Yeah, it's sugar, delicate. butter, white bread. White bread was a thing. We had a lot of white bread. Yeah. Wonder yeah. bread. Which is sugar basically. But you don't eat we, we don't really it's you know, sourdough now and rye yeah. bread. We don't do that anymore. But white bread was a thing and grew up with that. Sour bread, tap water Lots of sugar and everything. Yeah, we're all diabetic and nobody cares. <laughs> nobody care. I'm diabetic. We're type two. Nobody cares.
2: Get over yourself. Have a pie. Ed's type one, so he's looking down yeah. on the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the best one. Yeah. Um, what adventures would you go on? You um, the... Well, we
3: go um, when you had a bike. Did you do this? We had um, six bikes with your mates, uh-huh. and you just go somewhere, and uh, you didn't know where you're going. You try to not be on the main road because you might get killed but you'd go off the main road and go to a canal or there'd be a hill or something. So we'd go all around Dudley. The the Tipton to netherton canal was a good place to go because it was just shopping trolleys in the water and puppies trying to swim after they've been <laughs> chucked in um and rescue, so rescuing nearly dead puppies from the canal eating sugar sandwiches and talking a lot <laughs> and trying not to get pushed in the water by your friends that was a big thing yeah your, ma- that was a your, big ma- thing. your mates pushing you in the water because that was funny <laughs> yeah yeah sure. uh, so there was a lot of that going on and then as you got older the, the adventures were one of you could drive Yeah, And so they'd borrow dad's car and you'd go for miles and just maybe go to a pub and drink underage or just go for lots of driving. And there was that exploratory, because I never had a car, never had any money. But my mum told me, and this is in the book, to integrate. You must integrate with the Dudley people, (laughs) them. Go out there, try not to box anybody down, eat their food and get on with people otherwise you won't fit in <laughs> so the whole fitting in thing meant having white friends because it wasn't really a thing in my house of friendship because we had the family There was yeah. like seven of us so didn't really need friends but going out and integrating meant meeting white people and hanging out with them and going to their houses so when i met greg and mac and tom who were my best friends in the world who were brilliant a bit older than me went to grammar schools suddenly i had a different perspective on life i listened to different types of music You know, Mac introduced me me to John Peel and Tyrannosaurus Rex and Emerson Lake and Palmer. And Greg listened to Dylan and uh, the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel and stuff. And, you know, some like Genesis and things like that. So I was listening to different music. I was eating different things, ham, egg and chips, pie and chips, (laughs) scotch, egg and everything with chips. And then I'd go home and have my dinner because I'd never, I was always hungry. So um, I had this weird life of trying to integrate, trying to assimilate into British culture. And it was it was an adventure. And so our adventures were different to earlier adventures. Our adventures were going to discos and driving everywhere and going to these pubs where people said, we don't get many darkies in here. And we we've well, got one now. Um, Oliver Shandy, please. <laughs> um, and uh, Greg tells a story about us going on this big adventure to this pub, Scotch egg crisps, pickled onions. Uh, scratchings, scratchings. And um, Greg said, we went in and I went to the jukebox and quite a lot of people walked out of the pub because <laughs> I was the only black guy in the pub. <laughs> and um, when I turned round from the jukebox and I'd probably put Slade on or the rubettes or something, there was, the pub was empty. So we had it to ourselves. And he said, that happened a lot. And so I had to deal with that. Once I was on the telly, it was different. Everybody yeah. wanted to be near the kid who was on the telly. But when I was just this black kid in ill-fitting flares and a tank top... There was a real thing in the Midlands of, you know, what's he doing here kind of thing. But um, we overcame that. And because these guys were, honestly, they were brilliant. They drove me everywhere. They lent me money. They were kind. Um, I suddenly had this bigger idea of who I was and what I was going to do. And I don't know if you had mates. Who made, they, they definitely said I was funny. Mm-hmm. They definitely, you're funny, you are. You should do something with that. And made me think like, Oh, okay. I could be on stage. I could, I could do that. They made me go on stage. Right. Did you have friends like that?
2: No, I was too much of a like uh, show off in my friendship group that they were like, "Well, he's going to do that anyway." That's I not. Complete... That's not, I, that's I not encouraging. Was... Me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, think they yeah. tried
0: to get me to play it down if anything. Really? Yeah. You calm down. It, yeah. Just keep it. Just... Yeah. <laughs> no, no, were you cause...
2: doing impressions amongst them and stuff like that? Were they like, yeah, yeah, "You yeah. should and do
3: they were that"? Yeah, I did crap impressions too. I did, I'm not saying I was any good, but I did impressions of anything I saw on the telly. Yeah. Anything I heard on the radio. So it was. There was a lot of. Somebody called Adrian Just used to play the goons a lot. So I was always mm-hmm. doing, oh, 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 I was doing that voice a lot. <laughs> I was doing anything Dave Allen did, I loved. The idea of just sitting there and telling stories was quite focused and I quite liked that. Mm-hmm. And Dave Allen was kind of cool. He had that yeah. kind of black suit, white shirt, black tie thing, cigarette, glass of whiskey, telling stories and being kind of, I don't care if you laugh or not kind of thing. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then um, Benny Hill, everybody loved Benny Hill at my school pythons pythons were weird because in my family we laughed at the cartoons we liked Mm. terry gilliam stuff and we kind of like global hide and seek and the spanish inquisition but my i remember my mum. it was quite rude but laughing at the the terry gilliam cartoons and so i kind of had a, a really good sense of what visual humor was yeah and so i noticed when terry gilliam did the credits for the marty feldman show i thought oh that's terry gilliam i knew who terry gilliam was and I kind of started to recognise writing, who'd written things. So this was stuff I hadn't been taught or anything. I hadn't been to college to learn this. I just, I knew that that might be a John Junkin joke or a Barry Cryer joke yeah. or something, <laughs> which is why you watched Kenny Everett and I started to be interested in who'd written it, not just Kenny, because I thought, oh, well, Kenny's just mad and funny anyway, but, oh, yeah, Barry, Barry Cryer and Ray, who's that? And Who, who are these people? So, you know... I was—I definitely wasn't thinking what my mates were thinking. Plus, I was writing jokes down.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I don't know if you did that, but I was yeah, writing yeah. things down, yeah.
3: and that was well, as in thing- your own stuff or co- from things that you were seeing. You were—I was writing of- down things I was seeing. I was writing comments about them. I was writing how that might work if I did it. Yeah. It was a weird early attempt at craft, I think. Yeah. Of thinking mm-hmm. about thinking about why some jokes work and so I kind of had a thing where I was thinking all the time about types of humour, and I didn't write, never wrote. Never, you know, when I was in a writing room, eating sandwiches and, and people were saying, you should do this, Len, I, I had lots of energy, but I didn't actually write things down. I'd kind of have energy in the room, yeah, which is writing,
1: mm-hmm. by
3: the way, but it wasn't seen as writing. I started to get a credit near the end of Three of a Kind and for Lenny Henry show. I started to get a writing credit then because people realised that I was writing, but it was um, tricky. So writing the books had been a release, a huge release. Of just me in my pants with jammy Dodgers and uh, a sh- full sugar coke, just yeah. writing on my own and listening to very loud music. <laughs> Run the jewels and very and like cake and a computer is everything. Great.
2: That's, that's why I got COVID fun. Run the jewels gig. Did you yeah, really? Yeah. I definitely got COVID at that run the Jewels gig. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I tested positive enough days after that. That's the incubation period. I'm pretty sure. Was it a, big? Was it a big gig? Was it a lot, lot of Princeton people in, the, in but, Academy?
3: They're kind of mad run the Jewels. I don't quite understand it, but they are. They are very good. I think their kind of sense of percussion, in terms of the words and what they're talking about, particularly on the last album, which is all about yeah. gun, gun crime and stuff. Brilliant, really brilliant. And Killer Mike's when Killer Mike got up to make that speech to. After George Floyd died, I was reduced me to tears, mainly because I I thought, a, I wouldn't like it if Killer Mike stood on my foot. Have you seen how big he is? (laughs) But also because people in his family are connected to law enforcement, and he just talked about the idea that not all law enforcement is evil. That we've got to find some way to work together. This should not have happened. You know, it was so moving, and I thought, God, you're great, and you write funny and witty. And very potent lyrics too. They, they are so fun. Mm.
0: Like I was at that gig as well, and they are. Just... Did you get COVID? No, I was in the seating area.
2: No, no, no,
0: I was.
1: I was, I
2: was a VIP. It was upstairs. <laughs> I was we was downstairs, all downstairs. had a lateral <laughs>
0: flow. And Normally, I stand at gigs, but that's the first. That's the first time I've sat down and thought,
3: actually, this is way better. How can you dance though if you're, if you're stuck in that?
0: See, just wiggle around the w- Wiggle, around wiggle in your seat.
3: Yeah. You're a seat wiggler. <laughs> Me too. I like seat wiggling. I can't be. Well, I saw Chris Rock and I sat quite near the front and I was a bit <sighs> people snogging and eating sandwiches around. You know. <laughs> I would much rather have been in VIP. Standing there and looking over people's heads and go, this is rather funny. He's talking about Tottenham. How does he know about Tottenham?
2: Poplobs or bread? Poplobs or bread, Lady Henry? Poplobs
3: or bread? Doms. Poppadoms are great. I used to over-order all the time because we had a curry every Friday and it was my job to order the curry. And always over-order. Always have six of everything, um, just in case. But I love poppadoms. Mm. I like onion barges, but they tend to be very oily. I like piratas, but they tend to be a bit dry. Poppadoms are... It's like a big crisp. Mm-hmm. It's a big... Imagine if they had a bag of poppadoms like crisps. Yeah. Like a huge... Like a hessian sack yeah. <laughs> of poppadoms. That would be great, wouldn't yeah, it? Because we love poppadoms, but you'd carry it under your arm like a big bag, and every so often you pull out a foot, a poppadom a foot across, and munch on it at the pictures or on yeah. the park or How something.
0: How many do you think you could get through?
3: <laughs> I don't know, 12? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I could eat 12 or 15 poppadoms. I might not eat very much afterwards, but I could eat 12 yeah. or 15 poppadoms yeah. in a sitting, because poppadoms rock. Yeah, And they really crunch. When they're done well, they really crunch. I love them. Good curry houses in the Midlands as well, right? Well, we've got yeah. the Balti Triangle. Yeah, of course. In oh. Birmingham, there's a, the Light of Asia was in Dudley, and we used to go there. But in Birmingham, it's the Balti Triangle and Sparkbrook and places like that. And um, I, I used to love to go to the Balti houses in Bradford. I used to do a gig in Bradford, and then afterwards, uh, Phil McIntyre used to take me to this place that was like a calf, a curry calf, not a restaurant, so not posh.
2: Yeah.
3: But oh, the food was great. Bowls of chicken curry and a poppadums and a nan, no knife and fork, and you just eat it like that. And it was so unctuous and succulent and delicious, and then it was £2.50. <laughs> it wasn't very expensive at all. Beautiful, beautifully cooked. So I highly recommend going to Bradford and finding a curry calf rather than a posh restaurant. You,
0: you did a face there where you're imagining eating the curry. Yeah. Where it's the perfect food face, where you sort of screw your face up, and it's all, you, you like it so much you yeah. almost hate yourself for.
3: It. <laughs> like, oh Ooh, you, no, I don't hate myself, <laughs> but I'm kind of I'm trying not to eat. My thing is I eat fast, yeah, so I have to slow down when it's good because you kind can't eat good food. You got to savor it. And my my girlfriend's always just slow, what's the matter with you? (laughs) I've always finished and then everybody's kind of still eating. Just slow down, (laughs) Len. But I'm hungry. (laughs) Phil McIntyre was like the big rock and roll promoter in the late 70s, early 80s. And the reason I know him is because, um, and I wanted to work with him, is because um, Tizwaz went on tour and Chris was the promoter with Paul Roberts. And it was the first time I'd experienced kind of rock and roll comedy. I, I come from, you know and it took a lot of getting over, but I come from variety, light entertainment. So I did the clubs, I did Jollies in Stoke and Blazers in Windsor and the Starlight Rooms in Usk, you know, and it'd be like six or 700 people, dinner and, you know, drinks, and then you'd come on at 10 o'clock and do an hour and then that'd be it. So that was where I came from. That filled me with dread, just the description of the gig absolutely filled me (laughs) with dread. Yeah, it is kind of frightening. (laughs) And then when I was doing Tiswas, Tarrant said, oh, we're, we're doing Bishop's Stortford, do you want to come? And I said, Yeah, sure. You know, and I arrived and there was a queue that went from the door all the way down the street people with Tiswas t-shirts on, dressed as the Phantom Flanflinger, with their own custard pies ready, throwing buckets of water over each other in the queue. And then we got in and you couldn't actually get in the pub. You couldn't actually get in the gig. It was worse than Run to the Jewels. People were, <laughs> people were hanging through the windows. There were standing on the, the table that they'd set up for us to be on collapsed because they didn't have a stage. They just had trestle tables. We, and um, it was one of the best nights of my life. And we all nearly got killed. <laughs> and I thought, I want to do that. I want a tour like that. I wanna, I don't want to do the skylight rooms in workington Mm -hmm. which is thank you very much for paying me by the way but it was not (laughs) my you know people eating and then watching you do your jokes i want to do gigs like this where people are they want to be entertained and they're rabid and they're loving it and they're laughing really loud and cheering and i thought this is it this is the kind of gig you want to do so when they went on the big tour i did stockport and phil was in charge and stockport was legendary it was like a beatles gig i mean it was so it was so Compost Corner, the whole Compost Corner. <laughs> Here comes David Bellary. Ah! People going nuts like that. And I just thought, if, if Phil McIntyre's in charge of this, I need to be with him. So I had to convince my agent, who was very, uh, hello, what? Bowler hat, pinstripe suit, Mr. Luffy's name was. Had, had an umbrella. Had an umbrella, even in the summertime. Hello, what, what? Wore a bowler hat. I had to convince him that having these two rock and roll merchants from up North doing the tours might be a good thing. And uh, Phil came along, well, you know, Mr. Love, it'll be great, you know, Lenny, Lenny was very popular, you know, you get a different audience, young people, you know, and um, Mr. Love said, okay. And so I did a, my first tour and the poster for the first time was me in a leather jacket and a t-shirt with a big smile on my face. And it was almost like I'd been set free yeah. from doing those other kind of gigs. And then I kind of, I never looked back really and I, Started doing these big gigs, and I loved it. Preferred it so much more. Had vol back. Comedians had vol back. Going to see Ben Elton and two big-ass speakers on front of the stage, <laughs> pumping your voice back at you really loud. And then so it kind of made you feel a bit more rawr on stage, you know.
2: I loved it. It's always mad for me hearing about was because, like, I think that was before my time. So I grew up. You were, like, a very big part of my... Life growing up and watching you on TV. When were you born? What you I, 85. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have no idea what Tiz was. So Tiz was, I didn't know what that was, oh. but I knew who you were, watched you a lot. Then, who wants to be a millionaire? Whenever Whatever age I was, that yeah. was massive. Tarrant, so the yeah. talent. And then I learned that ages ago there was Tiswas and I couldn't even comprehend yeah. you and Chris Tarrant in a show together yeah. cause it didn't make sense because you were too complete, you occupied two completely different spaces for me so every uh, time someone says Tiswas I'm like did that what <laughs> I have I
3: have nightmares where I think have that happen to me <laughs> was I really in Tiswas it was really great. Tarrant was the producer. He was the executive producer and he wrote most of it. Usually on a Wednesday when he was fishing at four o'clock in the morning, he'd go fishing and he would just dream up the whole shape of the show, what it was, because it was kind of like assembling a radio show or a podcast, I think. He had blocks of things that he was going to do and um, we had to contribute the jokes. We have to say, so there'd be me and there'd be. John Gorman and Bob Carroll and maybe Frank Carson sometimes. Frank would go, it'd be good if I was um, pretending to be a medium and reading Your Fortune, and then after a while, you just you, you unmask me and you slag me off, and that'll be the joke. And then I would go, well, I used to do a Rastafarian character called Algernon. He said, "Oogie," okay. And I said, it'd be good if Algernon was into high art this week and talked about going to the Tate Gallery and blah, blah, blah. So we'd do that. And then he would assemble it on the Friday, and we'd go through it and everything. That's crap, think of something else, and then on Saturday, we just do it, yeah, live, and uh, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. you get a you get a major bollocking when things didn't work, literally on air. <laughs> <laughs> that was rubbish. Don't do that again and um, so we have we really wanted to please him. He was one of those people, a bit like John Lloyd or Jeffrey Perkins, one of these producers where you really want to do your best work for them because they they've given you this chance. And you don't want to cock it up. So every Saturday was like that for three years of working to Chris Tarrant and trying to please him. Yeah. And we did another show called OTT After Tis Was, which is a grown up version, kind of a bit like trying to be like Saturday Night Live. And that didn't work. And it was because we thought that the Tizwas audience would naturally migrate to OTT, and they didn't, of course. It was an adult audience who expected an organised, well-thought-out thing, and it was just chaos. <laughs> <laughs> just snooker and, you know, pop videos and the Human League showing up for some reason, and it was just that. It was not well-thought-out at all And it, as a result. and It was a bit ramshackle, but it was a lot of fun to be had. TV now is kind of odd. I keep saying, why doesn't, why don't people have their own shows anymore? And I think it's too expensive, and I think... You know, if you talk to my girlfriend, she just goes, oh, well, sketches, are, sketches aren't sketches are even a thing anymore, which I don't believe. I think that in maybe in five years' time, somebody will come up with a new sketch-type thing. Where there's amazing go, sketch acts out
0: yeah, there. Yeah, it yeah. Is,
3: I think it must be a budgetary thing. The thing is, sketches are expensive. Yeah. If you suddenly want to do Renaissance in England, it's like, you know, it's expensive. Costumes hire and all that. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good the idea is. They just don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. They'd rather have you on a panel. And yeah. I, I think there's the tyranny of... Panel slash game shows is tough for comics because I watch I watch them a lot. I don't want to be on them because I I didn't want to. I loved shooting stars, but when they asked me to be on it, I was slightly mute because I, I was wishing I was at home watching it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I know you guys are more. I don't know how it works, but you guys seem to be more able to deal with it because it's the culture now, right? But I guess yeah, we exactly. grew up watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: it's yeah. like I grew up watching panel shows and you know enjoying it and to learn the language by watching it. So then when you're on it. It yeah, doesn't so as, There's yeah. a craft of it, though, isn't there?
3: There's a preparation. I went on the Have I Got News? equivalent in Australia mm-hmm. and I was shocked that it was prepared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that it was prepared. <laughs> so I, went, I did all the preparation with the people that were on it and then I went on it. It was a great show. I was surprised at it. Everybody thinking it through. This won't be in the show. But I was just shocked at the pre- preparation that goes into it. That was
2: all. Yeah. Because, yeah, there, there
3: because the a... skill is making it look like you're making it up, of course.
0: Yes, yeah. I think so. There is a level, level of preparation to those things, which are always, always surprising. When it yeah. comes through on the email the first time you do them, you're like, all
2: right. Oh, it's this. <laughs> it's this kind of thing. So let's start with your dream starter then. Hand dive scallops oh. at the Ritz.
3: So. I'm watching Great British Menu, and there's there's this kid on, and he's great, and he works at the Ritz, and I I love him, I've fallen in love with him, he does this, you know, he does this Jane Austen thing where he presents this meal, and somehow he's got a production design budget, and the whole table is flowers, and this beautiful roast quail thing, and he gets top marks for it, and I'm watching this kid, and I'm going... And I do this a lot when I'm watching Great British Menu. I want to eat wherever this guy cooks. Yeah. So there's another guy called Nathan, bald guy, always uses fire. Yeah. And I love him, and I want to eat at his restaurant. But this kid, I think his name is Spencer. Spencer. I go, yeah. I want to eat at his. He's like 12. Mm-hmm. And I go, I want to eat at his restaurant. He cooks at the Ritz, really expensive. And I go, Phew. so on the pretext of taking my 94-year-old um, mother-in-law out for a birthday, it wasn't a birthday. <laughs> we go to the Ritz, happy birthday. It's not my birthday, <laughs> <laughs> shut up, <laughs> to you. We take her to the restaurant and um, go through this menu and he's on, he's cooking that day. Ooh, great. And I see, I love scallops. I don't like seafood. I, I got poorly once from seafood at mm-hmm. school. And so um, row, <laughs> I got really sick. I was off school for 10 weeks, but I can't resist scallops. This disc of meaty fish. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of delicious. And I I kind of don't mind when the orange thingy, weird earlobe thing. (laughs) But I I really like it when you get a big-ass piece of meaty, thick Mm. fish that's not too overcooked, that just melts in the mouth with some kind of garlicky sauce on it. Anyway, hand-dive scallops at the Ritz. It arrives, and for the five minutes I was eating it, I just thought, this is one of the best... Best things I've ever had. Yeah. And great thing about Spencer came out and said hello. Yeah, he's a lovely boy. Oh, what a nice boy. And he stayed slightly too long. But he was <laughs> <laughs> I thought, hang on a Marco minute. you know I'm Marco like. Pierre, what? Yeah, pal, you <laughs> can't yeah. sit down. But he does come and join you and stand there and talk about the program yeah. and what you're all like yeah. and what it was like and the pressure of it and everything. He was lovely. So there's a lot of sense memory involved with the hand dive scallops. It was delicious. And yeah. it's always a go to thing for me, scallops. Mm. And it, I suppose scallops or ribs. I like ribs, but scallops at the Ritz, perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I took my mum there for her birthday just because I wanted to go and eat his food again. He's he's a pretty special chef, I think.
2: That one, that's one of your series. Yeah, that's the the the
0: last series of Great British Money, Yeah, was great. You you will have eaten Spencer's food, so he did the partridge. Oh, and yeah. he did
2: the fish dish, the Sherlock in the finale. Yes, yes. Well, I got yeah, to go yeah, to yeah. the banquet. Yeah. Oh. Well,
1: any time
3: you want me to come on there and yeah. do, oh, happily come on. Well, but it was they watching, will hold you to that. <laughs> watching, watching the, um, watching the kind of competition and seeing people fall by the wayside, it's always a shock to me, mm-hmm. and. Um, when the geezer with the long hair comes on, I always kind of have dread. Because there's, there's, there's a guy who's like the Dark Destroyer. He's got blonde hair down to it. Michael hair. He yeah. comes on and he's just very, like, you know... <laughs> it's like if Bono suddenly became a food critic. <laughs> he's incredibly scathing about the food. And it's kind of like... I just get very scared for them all. But yeah. um, Spencer was brilliant. And the hand-dive scallops literally rocked
2: my world. Uh, wow.
3: So it's that. That first.
2: They sound amazing. Yeah. Very, very strong. Delicious.
3: I'm, I'm always surprised by how... Little, you have to cook things sometimes. Mm. Because I I like cooking, but I often leave things in for too far too long. Mm. (laughs) And then my mum used to burn things. When my mum made a cake, she was very good at making cakes. But her methodology was to put it in the oven, see smoke coming (laughs) from the oven, (laughs) take the burnt thing out, and then debraid the burnt tissue away from the cake, <laughs> revealing the beautiful cake in the middle somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So there will be this tiny cake in the middle of burnt tissue, <laughs> and that's how she made her cakes. But um, I'm trying to be a better chef, and the idea of not cooking things for too long, whether it's meat or fish, is a good thing.
2: Yeah, that thing when you see like a, a cooking show or like you know an interview with a chef, or and and they're talking, and it's top end chefs talking about what you know making it a steak or scallops or whatever it is. And it's hardly cooked at all. And yeah. you think, what are we all overthinking it for? Yeah. yeah. It seems like they just like go bam, there you go. Do you
3: ever panic when you're watching these shows and they make a steak and you go, Well, that's not cooked? Yeah. <laughs> I do that. No. No. You <laughs> need to you need to you need to render the fat. With, you need with, to...
0: with pork as well, when yeah. they're like,
3: pork can be pink. You're like, what? No, no. No, no, chicken can be pink. No. <laughs> no blood with chicken. <laughs> these guys are crazy. Oh, we just show it to the grill. No, you need to cook
1: it.
0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode of Off Menu is sponsored by Aura. James, are you ready to win Mother's Day?
2: I am, Ed. I want to cement my reputation as the best gift giver in the family. i want to give my mom an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos.
0: May I say, James, I absolutely love the class and elegance with which you use the word mom because this is for US
2: listeners. All of your moms deserve a good aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos.
0: Yeah, I think your mom's going to love looking back on your childhood memories, seeing what you're up to today, seeing what you were up to back in the day, and even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving, James. Ed.
2: Your dream main course. Now, we have a feeling this is going to be a home-cooked thing, right? This is mom.
3: My mom was a great cook. She cooked the same thing every day for 30 years. She had different days of the week. So, um, Saturday was Saturday soup, which is what I'm going to choose. Sunday was a Jamaican roast, which is chicken and rice and peas and hard food, which is yam and cho-cho and sweet potato and stuff, dumplings. Monday as we're starting to move out to the weekend and run out of money, it might be meat and potatoes and stuff. Tuesday, chicken. Wednesday, no money, pilchards and white rice. Thursday, really no money, sardines Sardines and potato. Friday, fish and chips or a fish thing. Saturday, Saturday soup. She did the same thing every day. And we really look forward to Saturday because we'd only just had pilchards. <laughs> so we're still, we have got PTSD from pilchards and, <laughs> pilchards and white rice. We don't want to eat tinned fish and rice anymore. Please, can we have something nice? So we get to Saturday, oh, thank God. And she would get up in the morning and she'd put the mutton on. The mutton has to simmer for quite a long time because it's quite a tough meat. So she'd simmer the mutton for a couple of hours until it was falling off the bone. Mutton, thyme, garlic... Onions, Mm. simmer, leave it. Then she'd, when it was cooked, then all the vegetables go in. This is the yam. Yam is quite a a fibrous carb, carby white vegetable. Cut that up into blocks. Uh, No, kind of it's peasant food, so you don't have to kind of be nice about it. Carrots, the dumplings can go in now. And whatever other, you know, scotch bonnet pepper maybe can go in. That goes in half an hour. Last 20 minutes, the potatoes go in. So you've got this quite big, I mean, we're talking literally a vat of food here with liquid in it. And so we'd all get our own tureen. That's what I remember. We'd all get our enormous tureen of food (laughs) and it would be the liquid and then potatoes, dumplings, yam, mutton, sometimes on the bone, sometimes if you're lucky, chunks of melty meat and uh, carrots with the thyme and the garlic and everything. Oh my God, every Saturday. Oh. So you'd eat this every Saturday and it kind of took on legendary proportions. And when I left home to be a professional comedian, I used to dream of it because I was eating Chinese and curry and stuff and going out to Greek restaurants and exploring other cuisines. But I did think, oh, my mom's food is up there yeah. with mm. this. I can, you know, my mom's food is good. She had this thing where she would put beef in foil and put loads of vegetable aromatics around it garlic and stuff and pinch it and put it on a very low heat for hours this food this meat fell apart and it was delicious and tasty and succulent so she was a clever cook and i'd get home i'd be in like huddersfield and i'd drive home overnight and i'd get there saturday morning and the soup would be on and i'd be go, oh thank god and i would just eat this soup and it rem- and it would have that kind of sense feeling of home and safety and stability, and you'd eat it, and you'd immediately fall asleep, <laughs> and you'd and you'd wake up when the wrestling was on. So you knew you'd, the super been good if Mick McManus was punching somebody in the face <laughs> when you woke up. So it was always that, and it's delicious and tasty and garlicky, and the meat was always succulent, and you did suck the bone, mm-hmm. and I know that sounds horrible, but there was stuff inside the bone like the marrow that was yeah. always really tasty. And, um i i think it was legendary that dish and i've tried to cook it me and my brother as we we try and do mom's cake as a thing in our family and nobody quite gets it right don't no burns it enough right? uh, we always think the burning is wrong but <laughs> actually and we we do the soup and it, this we can get close ruster has got a good saturday soup menu, menu uh, recipe but the, the saturday soup is the thing i would choose oh, it sounds phenomenal oh sounds um spacious. i went to mr jerk in soho it's not open mm-hmm. anymore and they made the Saturday soup, mutton soup with red peas, kidney beans and hard food. And it was, it was in a work day. I was going to a writer's meeting in the afternoon in Soho at PBJ's, PBJ's my manager. And um, I just thought, I'll have some soup. And I went in and I had it and I started to cry because my mom had passed away. And it reminded me of my mom and uh, food can do that. You know, Marcel Proust and remembrance of things past food can trigger memories and you don't know why it's doing it, but it suddenly evokes something and i had this soup in the middle of soho with the bin men going around and the bottles clanging away and smashing and people in the street and smoking fags and stuff and i just thought god my mum was great
2: Your dream side dish.
3: Um, I like ribs. I love spare ribs on the side. Well, you
0: mentioned possibly ribs for a starter, so this might be a good place to put the ribs.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I think this is a good place to put the ribs because salt and pepper ribs are delicious. Mm. However, the ribs that fall off the bone are the bomb. So whenever I have those, I always think that's very similar to the way my mum would cook them. So when I go to a Chinese restaurant and the ribs have a sauce and they fall off the bone, there's there's a restaurant in Chinatown where they serve this one where it's obviously been cooking for a long time and the ribs are to die for. So yes, that would be a side for me. I'd have two. Maybe I'd have two as a side. Yeah. Delish. Two. I have two ribs. Well, no, two... you have the two ribs. You have. The, yeah. And they're quite big and there's quite a lot of meat on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't want to spoil your main, so no, you don't. Eat, you might share that with somebody. I'm doing a lot of sharing of signs at the moment. I don't know if you do that. Yeah, I kind of go, should we share one? I never mean it, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so should Good. we share that? do you, you seem to have eaten all that. <laughs> Sorry.
3: My wife
0: knows. She's like, yeah, we'll share that. She knows she's not having any of it. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I am very disappointed when ribs don't fall off the bone.
3: Yeah. The chewy rib is not really my thing. I like the fall-off-the-bone one where the, the meat just goes, I give up! <laughs>
2: and just falls off the bone like
3: that. I
0: agree, but in, in competition American barbecue, it's actually marked down if it falls off the bone. Well, that's ridiculous. There needs to be a pull. I you need to yes, pull it off. Yes,
3: I, I, I agree with that, but the meat does need to be tender oh, on the yeah. ribs. It's, otherwise, it's not great. And I like a sauce. I like it when it's been marinated in a delicious sauce. Sometimes ribs can be a bit, you know, they just chuck it on and it's, it tastes of the smoke and the meat, really. And I think that if you've taken the trouble to make a good marinade, that can elevate the rib to something quite extraordinary. Mm. And we want extraordinary, don't we? Steve Martin says, you know, somebody asked him, what what, what do you care about? And he said, you know, every single meal, (laughs) (laughs) imagine that every single i ate with him once and it's true he took a really long time to choose his food he wanted it to be perfect he doesn't want any meal time to be disappointing imagine that how many crap meals have you had and gone oh it's all right yeah just let me eat that come on i've got to get on you know steve martin wants every single meal to be perfect i think i agree with steve martin really yeah it's definitely steve martin but (laughs) that's a problem man that's a problem if all he can do is get street food on the way to somewhere wait a second how are you cooking these onions with the hot dogs? It's kind of like, Steve, it's just a hot dog. You need to... No, 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 no. I need to know what kind of
2: soy sauce they're using. on these ribs? <laughs> anyway. I'd love to know the context that you and Steve Martin... Were you working on something together? No, it was... Um,
3: we got this phone call from Pete, and he said, we're going out with Steve Martin for lunch. Do you want to come? And I, I was almost there before he finished the phone call. <laughs> and I was just sitting there, and Steve Martin was there, and it was brilliant. It was so... And it was... It was kind of like all of us. He didn't perform at the table. He didn't do any jokes. So it was kind of like being with this slightly grumpy middle-aged <laughs> bloke. But we didn't care because we were all kind of in awe of him, watching him eating, his, being really fussy over it. Yeah. Because even when he was fussing over his food, it was kind of funny.
2: Yeah.
3: So we were kind of biting our lips, trying not to laugh. And he did one thing where he went... Um, I'm going to the bathroom and we all <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't even funny. It was just kind of <laughs> set it in that kind of wild and crazy way. And we all yeah. <laughs> Steve Martin, <laughs> we're having our lunch with
2: Steve Martin. It's great.
3: <laughs> but he was a bit grumpy. Oh, he also left up. Um, I, I did an impression of him in Live. At, I made a film called Live and Unleashed in 1989. And um, I did an impression of Steve with prosthetics at the beginning of the film where uh, I walk into that in the Hatton Empire and um, he rang me, he rang my house and left a very long answer for message about copyright <laughs> oh, and about plagiarism. It was funny. It was a, yeah. Maybe, you know, my lawyers will be on the phone to you <laughs> at some point because you've literally stolen my soul. <laughs> um, it was great. It was really nice. Good Guy,
2: that's uh, that's very good to hear, yeah, yeah, for a second there, because you were saying it's very serious when you said he left a message to you about copyright. I was like, What Steve Martin's gonna sue? Lenny no, Henry. it was a joke, he, it was <laughs> a, like, a joke, it, message, was not, but, it was not like that. Sorry, at all. film,
3: okay, <laughs> spoken to my lawyers. Do you feel like
2: you and Steve Martin do you feel like you have a natural bond as well because your surnames are also Christian names? <laughs> so, uh, when Steve Martin and Lenny Henry are hanging out, it was, it's quite, <laughs> quite a fun. Uh, it was just, it
3: was just, we're both <laughs> comics and <quite> miserable <laughs> in real life. It was just cool to meet him. They say you should meet your heroes, but I go, What's that all about? You should meet them. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I I was a bit tongue tied when I met John Armour Trading, but apart from that. Uh, I also met Aretha Franklin and was cut tongue-tied. I don't know what's the matter with me. I'm not shy. I met Aretha Franklin at an airport and I was like, Bleh! Bleh! I think anyone would be shy. Yeah, signed a book on, she signed a
2: for book Aretha for me. Frank.
3: But she, was, she had a
2: huge bodyguard with her. He was like an asteroid. He was so
3: big, this guy.
2: And she went, let him through. Our friend Rob Dearman who's a comedian, you might have met Rob, uh, does a live um, like comedy music show, like a quiz. Uh-huh. And I was paired up with someone and they had to describe musicians and I had to guess who they were without saying the musician's name, like articulate. And they had Joan Arma trading. And at that point, I hadn't heard of Joan Armatrading before. And the guesses that I came up with to try and get who this person was, because they were trying to like, you know, say like, so say that, you know, you had a job and it was to like swap like a, <laughs> like, a <laughs> like 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 a a breastplate. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I was like... Ah, <laughs> uh, so like, uh, like a, 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 you're, you're an arms dealer. No, you're nearly there. I had no idea. Yeah. You didn't know who John I'm Trading I didn't at the time. Didn't at the time. But she was in the Beano. Choosing education. We she- were in the Beano. You? we were in the Beano? Yeah, we got because of this podcast.
0: We're in one frame of a Mini the Mings oh. cartoon. They
2: decided it was set in a restaurant and in the foreground there's me and Ed having a having a little meal. That's and it great, I was best in the Beano. We
3: did a we did a comic relief comic and um some of the artists put us in the comic I was so chuffed, you know, because Beano is a thing. Yeah. yeah. And and food again, you know, the Beano and the Dandy. Uh, at the end of every episode, in the last panel, they were always having sausage and mash, yeah. and saying, "We'll feast on this, fifty yeah. p. We'll, we'll feast on this," and they always had huge sausage and mash, yeah. and the, the sausage always stuck it. out. Yeah, like, oh, they stu- yeah. stuck it. In I love that. I always, I've never had sausage and mash like that. No, no. But if I was serving sausage and mash, I would sort of want a pile of mash bigger than my head yeah. and the sausages poked like antlers yeah. out
2: of it. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to
3: eat sausage and mash, pal.
2: Yeah. I went to the Beano exhibit at Somerset House. You went there as well, didn't yeah. you? And uh, I didn't know that, like in the first bit of the exhibit it basically is, it explains the Beano is all about food. And uh, I was like, I didn't even think about that. But, like, yeah, they have a big sculpture of the mash and the and the sausages. Oh,
3: desperate Dan, cow pie.
2: Yeah. Cow pie, yeah. But is it
3: because of post-war, because of rationing and stuff, because food was so scarce? Yeah. All the comics were about stealing cakes and eating sausage like and mash. abundance, and, yeah. Yeah, it was all about just loving food and being a restaurant, Lord Snooty and yeah. Bass Street kids all eating pies and stuff. It was a that post-war thing of scarcity. And I get that, that. We didn't have much money, but we always ate. My mum was always... Very clear about you. Clear your plate. Mm-hmm. This food was hard won this week, um, so I really got the bean on the Dundee's obsession with food. Dream drinks. When I saw the Beatles on something drinking Scotch and Coke, I drank Scotch and Coke for a long time. Oh. And um, the Edge bought me a bottle of tequila once. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it no, no no, no, no build up to that yeah. straight in that's how I want that's and, how I want and the, Lemmy Lemmy
3: bought me a bottle of gave me a bottle of vodka once it's wow. a gig oh, well, that's... but oh, these yeah. are not my dream drinks my dream drink is a rum punch because it's quite strong but it doesn't mess up the meal because you don't want to be so drunk before you eat your meal yeah I don't understand the martini thing. Have you ever had a martini? I, l- I, love I like them. They're it, really yeah. strong. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like pour a large glass of gin, <laughs> add something like vermouthy or put an olive in it. Drink. There's no. What is the shaken not stirred thing? It's just a pint of gin. <laughs> so the first martini I had, I couldn't even talk afterwards. I was so kind of like shocked love how it. strong it was. Anyway, so rum punch is just right as long as you know. A maniac hasn't made it. I've had some maniac made rum punches where people can't move. If you use Ray and nephew rum just and put it in a bowl and people are just dipping into it at a party, yeah. there's quite a lot of Ubers to call <laughs> with a stretcher that you need because people are so drunk they can barely move. Yeah. So, a likely made rum punch with fruit and stuff in it. And that's a lovely thing to have with your starter mm-hmm. to sip at and chat. And then during the meal, you know, I like, a, I like a glass of wine. I used to like Pellini Montrachet was a nice white wine. I went to a farm once in um, south of France and the farmer was selling wine out of in-gallon plastic Containers. It was one of the best wines of ever. Oh, wow. It was white and it was delicious. We had it for a week. It was fantastic. I was okay. just drinking it from the container and pretending I was drinking paraffin. Look at me, I'm drinking paraffin. <laughs> but um, it was
0: it was really delicious. I'm trying to work out which musical legend it turns out the farmer is. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't a musical legend. <laughs> Meat no. life you, uh, it was just a farmer. <laughs> um, do you have a rum punch recipe uh, for the listeners? Some sweets, some sour. So you need some rum, you need some kind of. S-
3: Glycerin-y type, sugary type syrupy thing to put into it. You could put lemonade in it. You could have some pineapple juice in there. Uh, quite nice to have some of the pineapple on the side of the glass. And then you kind of mix it a bit. And then that, that's sort of it. There's better recipes. There'll be better recipes, but it's some sweet, some sour, some alcoholic. Uh, drink it.
0: <laughs> People often forget to put that as part of the recipe. Yeah. Drink it. Yeah. Drink Just it. Just make it. They're
3: like looking at it and going, yeah. see what I've done. My work is done.
2: Do we arrive at your dream Uh, dessert? Is this from a certain time in your life or has it always been a favourite?
3: Yeah, um, well, creme brulee is great and uh, Mm -hmm. trifle is legendary. School, spotted dick and kind of sticky toffee puddings are very popular in house. Can't really eat a lot of puddings at the moment because I'm trying to watch my weight because I'm diabetic. Mm -hmm. But I do like a dessert still. But there's a legendary one. There was a restaurant in Manchester, I can't remember its name, so I apologise in advance. Chef made a bread pudding with brioche. It had currants in it, chocolate and a thimbleful of whiskey. Oh, Ooh. it was <laughs> literally mind blowing because the custody bit just made this chocolatey whiskey custard yeah. and the brioche, because it wasn't bread, wasn't too onerous to eat because sometimes the bready bit of a mm. bread pudding can be a bit claggy, but it, it, when you put your spoon in it, it sort of went <laughs> like that. Yeah. There, there was resistance, but not too much resistance. And so, oh, this thing. And guess what chef did? He gave me the recipe. Oh, wow. wow. So somewhere in my house, tucked into a book somewhere, is a recipe for this chocolate, chocolatey, brioche bread pudding. And it's literally one of the best things that you've ever eaten. And do, you, do you make that at home? I've made it a few times when I wanted to impress people. Mm-hmm. And it's a very nice dessert to have. Yeah. Very, very yeah. nice. And you can, you know, you can serve a little, a nice little whiskey with it. I, I got into a thing. I was at, I was doing a Phil McIntyre gig up north <laughs> in Scotland. And we were staying in a very, very nice hotel where they had a a whiskey bar with every whiskey you could probably name and lots of local ones. And um, it changed my mind about whiskey because my family, my uncles used to drink Johnny Walker. And it, Johnny Walker is just like drink, fall down. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's a whole, like with these people who taste tea. There's a whole thing with whiskey where it's not just about drinking and falling over. It's yeah. about taste and nuance and texture and stuff. So I had a really lovely whiskey tasting night, which I can't quite remember. <laughs> but I did learn that whiskey is not something to, to just be drunk because you want to get drunk. It's something you can actually drink like a very, very fine yeah. wine or liqueur. So um, if you serve it with a very, very nice whiskey... Mm. Oh, it does sound delicious.
2: Yeah. Also, you, I mean, you know, the, the listener didn't see your face completely glaze over when you, uh, when you, <laughs> when you pictured it. Your eyes were half open. You were, yeah. you were staring Sorry, up at the Sorry, I'm a very distance. visual person, uh, listener. Um, also, when you said Manchester and bread pudding, I thought it was going to be a Gary Rhodes thing. Yeah. Uh, he used to uh, make a...
3: Not sure it was Gary. Uh, might have been Tom Kerridge. I don't know. But it was somebody, that, one of those up-and-coming chefs in the mm. late 80s, one of those people. Um, but it was in Manchester and it was like a little restaurant. I remember it was quite steel and graphite, one of those nice kind of newy restaurants, sci fi, Blade Runnery type things. And um, God, it was good.
2: Sounds delicious, all the different components. I
0: never thought I, I, as a kid, I was always sort of anti bread pudding or Mm -hmm. bread and butter pudding because it sounded so weird. Yeah. But then the first time I had it, I was like...
3: It's good, isn't it's it? It's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's so but, good. But the normal bread pudding is delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of custard and bread and raisins, currants, I love custard yeah. if you say If you say to me, it's got currants in it, I'm there. You know, you, <laughs> you have me, at, it's got... You, you know, I love currants and raisins and things. So I love chocolate raisins and I love anything with a raisiny thing in it. You know, rum and raisin ice cream, I love that. Mm-hmm. So bread, butter, pudding, custard, raisins. It's like you, you're talking to a seven-year-old Len and going, you know, <laughs>
2: eat this, child. You know, it's <laughs> like,
3: oh... So great. So that's, that's it. Is that good? That's well, right. let me read it back
2: to you. See how you feel about it. I'll read, read your menu back to you. Are oh, You like still water. You're like poppadoms. For your starter, in you a big, would like... In a big crisp bag. In a big hessian sack of poppadoms. <laughs> starter, your hand-dive scallops from the Ritz. Main course, Mum's Saturday soup. A side of two ribs, mm. full off the bone. Drink rum punch... And also you would like a uh, Pellini Montrachet white wine throughout the meal, mm. dessert, the brioche bread pudding with currants, chocolate and whiskey uh, from the place in Manchester.
3: That sounds fantastic. That it sounds sound very um, good. All I'm day long I'm eating that.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm on board with that. I'm desperate to try Saturday soup from somewhere.
3: I want Saturday soup. I want the dessert, obviously. I mean, fine dining is weird, isn't it? Because hand-dive scallops are on every menu. But the bread and butter pudding and the Saturday soup, you, you don't you don't see yeah. when you go out uh, but there are, there are more, thank God, there are more Caribbean restaurants opening all the time. It's been a thing with Caribbean restaurants in Britain because whenever you go to the ones that exist from like late eighties to now, there's very little on the menu when you get there. You have the soup, no, the soup done. You have the stew, the stew done. You have the cooked chicken with the rum and the and that done. You have the coconut with the, co- that finish. What you have left, let me go and ask the chef. <laughs> We have the random stew. <laughs> You're on some of oh, that. All right, then. You know, So going out from I remember taking Richard Curtis to a Caribbean restaurant and it was like that in Labrador Grove. Wow. <laughs> they didn't have anything on the menu. We had some weird, bizarre, whatever was left in the kitchen we had. So now, with the advent of programmes like MasterChef and Great British Menu and everything, the, the, we've got some great chefs yeah. going around from Caribbean heritage. And there's this attempt to make and a successful attempt to make Caribbean food fine dining. And I think you're going to see in the next 10 years, perhaps, a transition from this idea of peasant food, fish and chips, and Korean rice, into something that we can savour and enjoy in a, in a kind of take-your-partner-out-for-a-nice-meal way. Yeah. Rusty Lee's restaurant was that in Birmingham, uh, but unfortunately closed down after a while. But there are, there are a few places now where you can go and have a kind of nice meal and eat Caribbean food, and it's great. Certainly in France, certainly in places like Antigua. And certainly in Jamaica, uh, they're not ashamed of their heritage. They kind of elevate it. And um, I think you'll see that in the next 10 years with Caribbean food.
2: Well, fingers crossed there'll be more... More such restaurants. We'd all have a Saturday soup any day of the week. Am I allowed to eat it outside of a Saturday? Yeah, well, we did, because, you know, if we could get it to make Saturday soup on Thursday, for instance, oh, that was
3: good, because it wasn't Pilchard's.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. can <laughs> yeah. you make having... Saturday soup today? Well, it's not really politic, but I will try it <laughs> for you. because <laughs> you, you to have Pilchards. Pilchard's on the Saturday,
0: then, if it is. No, well, no! <laughs> no!
3: <laughs> Thank
0: you very much for coming to the Dream Restaurant. Thank no you, thing. it's so been much. lovely. I'll have what they're having.
2: Well, there we go. We managed it, James. We kept yeah. ourselves together. I was even more in awe than I thought I was going to be. It's quite, Joe. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you, Ed. It was quite an emotional experience.
0: It, it, well, it was a fantastic episode. Uh, what an absolute gentleman. So funny.
2: Yeah. I felt regaled by the end. Like I bit, felt I've been, regaled. I've been regaled.
0: But also, I know that you missed a lot of what you said after sugar sandwiches, because you were just
2: thinking about that. I so think I need to do that Yeah, as soon as possible. <laughs> and on the way home, I'm going to the shop. I'll get some bread and some sugar and some <laughs> butter. Yeah,
0: an absolutely amazing episode, and he did not say plain kombucha. Surprisingly. Oh,
2: thank you, so that we didn't have to have that awful moment. Yes, out a night of the realm. That would be awful.
0: So do go and buy "Rising to the Surface," Lenny Henry's new memoir, published by Faber. Published by Faber, out on first of September. And his new kids' book, Book of Legends, published by Macmillan. Macmillan. And that's out on the 13th of October. And do watch him. He is in the new Lord of the Rings series, The Rings of Power, on Prime Video. And that starts on the 2nd of September. He's a very busy night.
2: He's a busy night. Uh, hard day's, uh, hard day's, uh, no.
0: hard day. Yeah, it's a bit busy. B- B- busy, 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 busy. He's busy. He's busy. He's busy. Working like a dog. Uh, I'm quite so. busy. I'm on tour. at Gamble Electric. Go and see it. Edgamble.co.uk for tickets.
2: Yes, and also uh James. A- oh no, I said it too fast and just messed it up. Oh, oh. I've got a book out. James got a book out. Who's is it, it published by James? Headline. Headline.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this episode. We can't believe it happened either.
2: Bye bye. Bye.